This is Noche Galactica, episode 44. I'm Poeta Galactico, and today we got our homie, Poeta Artie, the one with the flute. How you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing quite well. You know, it's a little rainy outside and cold, but we're ready to, to get this going. I have some hot chocolate with me right here. So we got <laughs> to dive in and talk about this. Um, before we, we Hot chocolate to warm the soul, man. This, that's, it is what it is, man. You already know. Uh, before we tell folks about this, the title of this episode, I want you to take us through your journey of who you are, um, how you got here. Um, and full disclosure, Artie and I met this year in this beautiful project in the Fruitvale. And from there on, I feel like energies align and, and, and I'm happy to be here with you today. But yeah, tell us about you, who you are and your background. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, my background is fairly uncommon or, or common, whatever, but um, I grew up in a very, um, uh, very Mexican household. My mother is hails um, from Mexico. And so, you know, music was a part of our daily life. You get up, you clean the house, there's music. You uh, do anything around the house, there's music. Everything was uh, surrounding music. Um, I think one of the, the, the um, the great things uh, about my background, about my my upbringing, was just that um, it was, uh, you know, music was a part of my life. It's always been a part of my life. I've been influenced by so many people. Um, I tell people that my actual first influence to music was actually listening to Yanni. Um, and for those who know who, of those who don't know who Yanni is, he is a world a music composer. Uh, he tends to write what people call new age music. Um, so like Enya and people like that, you know. Uh, it's the stuff that kind of sounds like classical music, but there's a little bit of like an electronic component to it. Um, but uh, I was exposed to a concert that he did in 1994 called Yanni at, uh, Live at the Acropolis. And he had a, um, a full symphony orchestra backing him up. I think it was like the London uh, Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, and he also featured a really wonderful uh, African-American violinist named uh, Karen Briggs. And I just remember being totally um, drawn in to that music because um, it was uh, bringing in the classical, this very old art form that had gone through many evolutions throughout its uh, existence. Um, and bringing in this new component, uh, lots of electronic uh, components, kind of like your sometimes like your, your cheesy 80s music or your cheesy 90s music. Um, lots of like little love ballad quotes and everything, like a little bit of jazz, a little bit. It had a little bit of everything. It was a really, really cool uh, concert. Um, but that's really what got me started and interested. And then in elementary school, um, we had... Um, so I went to Cesar Chavez, which is in the heart of the Mission District. Um, and um, they had a percussion class there. And I remember just being totally drawn into it. And then uh, they had a, sh uh, a short stint on a string course there. So I wanted to take cello. I took cello and I was there for a couple months. And uh, I had some really interesting moments <laughs> back then. But I got to playing uh, flute actually in middle school. And um, I think this is where I experienced a lot of growth and appreciation for music 
um, because when I started, it took me three months to play the flute and everyone was already started. Everyone had their thing already going. With me, it was a little bit different because I didn't, I wasn't interpreting the information that was being given to me. So I was just making really nonsensical mistakes. It was, it was really dumb. But once I got it, I took off um, and I was like the last of like 32 flute players. I was like the last chair of 32 players. Like, I mean, I was so crappy in, in this in this flute section. Um, and- uh, You made the I, cut. I, I made the cut, exactly. The cut. But I, the great part was that my teacher uh, saw the potential in me. Um, let me take one of the flutes home during the summer and I just, you know, woodshed it and did what I needed to do. And then I came back seventh grade. I competed for um, what they call principal chair, meaning you're just like the top dog, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I took the seat of the eighth grade senior player there um, in the top band at my middle school. Um, and I, that just kind of elevated my appreciation and just was like the point where I would say I took off the most. Amazing, um, man. Yeah. Let, let me let me stop you there because I, I want to really, really back in a little bit. As for the listeners out there, if you don't know by now, we are going to be talking about classical music, right? Um, by Fort the Artie. But I feel like there is a, there is a part that we're really going to dive into is it's BIPOC, people of color in musical music, in classical music. Um, a lot of times, me growing up in D.P. Stokeland, I like I played the cello when I was in middle school. Um, and I was one of two uh, people of color in that class who, who were playing instruments. Um, Which is not uncommon. <laughs> it's not uncommon at all. So you naming those things and how you got into classical music, and it's so powerful just knowing that there's different stories in this world, right? Um, but let's dive in a little bit on, on like the demographics of people at the beginning of your class, like playing classical music, were you the only Latino? Were you the only person of color? Was there more folks? T talk to us about that. So uh, where I went to middle school, uh, the school was called Gloria R. Davis Academic Middle School. It was based in the heart of the Hunters Point uh, District up, in, um, up on top of that hill. Um, so it was a very diverse school um, and you had lots of uh, different brown folks playing in it. We had a lot of uh, Polynesian, uh, uh, Sud Americano and um, and African American uh, players in it. I think I was maybe like one of four or five actual Chicano students in there. But as far as like the demographic, the demographic was very very diverse. Um, I think that's when I started seeing less diversity is when I got into like high school. Um, you know, and there was definitely um, an entitlement gap. Um, because of course I went to School of the Arts in San Francisco, um, predominantly white um, and Asian school. Um, I actually went to school, this is a little bit of a, of a fun bit, but I went to school with uh, Salvador Santana. Okay. Um, so that's Carlos' son. Yep. Um, so uh, yeah, I was there when he was a senior. 
Um, and there's a couple of great moments in time where I saw Carlos there coming to our concerts. He would come in, he would fall asleep. That's what's up. That's what's up. That's a good caveat for playing but in front can, of him. Exactly, right? I can say that I, I've, I've met him and I've seen him. That's what's up. That's amazing. Right? That's, that's uh, powerful. Yeah, it is. And I think, um, like I said, that's where you started seeing a little bit more um, of the... Um, a little bit more inequity, a little bit less uh, brown people in the band. Um, of course, it's School of the Arts going to attract a lot of um, entitled, money-wielding uh, weros in the school. Yeah, so get it. <laughs> it, it, it happens. Um, it happens in those schools because I, I think a lot what um, deters people of color from going to a school like that, especially in soda, is the whole like audition process. Um, you know, because you have to audition to get into the school. It, it works very similar to the way you uh, audition for like a conservatory um, of music or a um, or an institution that's dedicated to the arts. Um, and uh, Soto was no exception. It's like you had to be part of that exceptional group. You had to really work for it. Um, I when I entered the school, I played two instruments. I played flute and I played oboe. Um, and they saw that as um, as a strong as a strong means as a strong musician. So um, I took that to my advantage. Um, but yeah, I mean, Soda was an interesting school. I mean, I can go on forever. All the no, stuff I'm that sure. happened there. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I want to go back a little bit to the to the part of your motivation to to get you playing an instrument right at a young age. Mm -hmm. You mentioned mm -hmm. that your parents, you know, Mexicanos. Um, mm -hmm. You are you were born in the states. Um, yes. But what was that connection like to, from like classical music? Did your parents influence you around like who to pick, who to listen to, play this record? Like where did that start it and got you hooked in? It, it really wasn't my parents really influencing me. I think I just, I saw the magic of being um, in an ensemble. Um, I went, my elementary school, they took us to trip to, to the San Francisco Symphony quite often. So I think that's what exposed me the most. Um, it's actually, it's actually kind of interesting that you mentioned, you know, my parents and all that, because my mom was very, um, much worried, you know, taking the approach of music, like, especially if I wanted to take it, uh, as a profession later on, it's mm -hmm. like, make sure you have your backup. Yeah. Thank God I have my backup. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't, I don't think, I don't think She really influenced me. I think a lot of it came from myself and my own pursuits and my own passion. Um, I would say that uh, my stepfather actually he um, he gave me uh, a cassette and it had a bunch of like like, like it must have been an orchestra from like the 50s or the 60s, um, and it had these very very old recordings of uh, Johann Strauss, which is the master of the waltz. So it's all of these very waltzy um, orchestra pieces, and I was just like, "Oh, this is cool. That's not cool. Oh, that's a piccolo. Okay, cool. I like piccolo." And actually, I ended up. Uh, that's one of the instruments I get hired for the most to play. Ironically, uh, big guy, little instrument. That's um, what's up. <laughs> no, that's amazing. I, I, I guess fast forward to now nowadays as an adult, right? Uh, and this is where I think the conversation is going to get juicy and spicy for Brano. Is what, what are some of the like big inequities that you see in this field um, as a as a brown folk? You know, just pushing it in a field where it's, it's dominated by whites. Of course, um, 
Well, I mean, let's talk about some statistics. Um, my understanding, um, there is a study by uh, the League of Orchestras, and I think that Latinos and um, African-Americans consist of um, less than 10% of musicians who actually play in major symphony orchestras, and I think that's all across the world, not just the United States, but all across the world. Um, and I think it's above 10% um, for uh, people of color, uh, specifically males, who are uh, con who conduct in any major orchestra around the world. Um, here in the Bay Area, we have uh, Michael Morgan uh, conducts the Oakland Symphony. Um, you know, I don't, but as far as that, there's not much um, uh, diversity. I mean, it's, uh, but when it comes to like uh, male, female, there's, uh, there's many women that conduct local community orchestras uh, all across the Bay Area. Um, but when it comes to some of the inequities, uh, going back to my point on, on inequities, uh, you do, I think a lot of it has to do one with access. Uh, musical instruments are severely expensive. Um, I mean, I'm fortunate that enough that I can pay for my own instrument, but like when my mom got me my first flute, I mean, she, they paid over $1,500 for that flute and coming from a low income family, that's a struggle, you know, and a lot of kids don't have that access and a lot of them that do want to to pursue music, it, it that's the challenge. That's the major challenge. It's like, how am I going to get a hold of an instrument that's a quality instrument that's going to last me? Because the reality is a lot of school districts, they will supply you the musical instrument. But most of the time, and me, and now as a teacher, I see these instruments and they're not in the greatest shape. They haven't been serviced. Um, you know, mechanically they're falling apart. And so these kids are playing on very lackluster instruments. And that I think unmotivates us uh, even further. And I think um, especially kids of color, when we, when we get stuff like that, it's, it, uh, it kind, I don't know. It just, it, it definitely doesn't give us the motivation to want to pursue something, you know? Um, it's like you're here, kid. You're being given this really shitty uh, piece of instrument, and you're gonna have to do something with it. You know. Um, fast forward to now, like I can afford my own instrument because I work for it. I sacrificed a lot, but I mean, it's there. Um, and then another thing is um, lessons are expensive. Music lessons in general are very expensive. Um, youth orchestras, a lot of times when like when I auditioned for a youth orchestra. Um, you know, one of the things that comes with it is that you have to come out with some kind of cash to pay for your sponsorship, essentially, to be in that orchestra. And a lot of times, that's too much money. Some families can't afford it. Uh, the great thing, though, about programs like Youth Symphonies um, is that they do offer scholarships. And I don't think a lot of families want to bother to ask. Maybe it, it just seems because it is a uh, predominantly white art that people are just afraid that they'll be rejected for it, you know? And if anything, that's one of the things that I feel as people of color, we should definitely take advantage of. Um, take, take that bag, take that scholarship, and make it exactly. yours and just learn from it. Exactly. Um, yeah, but I, I think a lot of it too is that we don't see ourselves on stage. 
Ooh, you know, talk, we don't talk see talk to uh, me about that. Talk to me about that. <laughs> so I feel like when it comes to classical music, one of the one of the big things, one of these big arguments that that happens is that we don't see enough of our people on that stage. You know, when it comes to like here in the United States, we don't have enough people representing us on stage in the media, especially when it comes to brown skin folks. When we talk about even um like colorism, for example, uh, we see a lot of colorism in even the Latino culture. Um, and one of the things that even if there is a Latino sitting on that stage, we're not seeing enough brown folks, melanin sitting on that stage. And I think that's where a lot of and for me, I got discouraged at a young age because it was like, I don't see anybody there that looks like me. So how am I going to get there? What are the tools that I'm going to use to get there? Um and so, yeah, I think that that's, that's just where it, where it ends up leading. There's so it's so complex this issue, um, which is one of the reasons why I sit on this Latino cohort, which was founded by um, a very prominent Bay Area group called Quinteto Latino, and my friend Armando um, Castellano. Um, he's a fabulous French horn player and fabulous educator and. Um, Civil rights. I mean, he he does it all. He's just he's an amazing person to have as an ally. Uh, he speaks out for for brown folks, especially when we're facing inequities. And one of the things that this cohort is doing is addressing those inequities that are happening in music. Um, yeah, it's that's it's, so it's just it's just fantastic work. That's that's powerful. Uh, that's amazing. We need we need to keep pushing the the envelope. And just to your point of colorism in the Latino community, I, 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 I want people who are white passing and listening to this podcast to step their game up, you know, step your game up and stand up for the people, um, you know, who are brown, black, and really yeah. give them the space. Because I see that happening a lot in our communities and it's, it's not cool, man. But Absolutely. moving on, man, moving on, let's, let's talk a little bit about how you create space in this field, right? dominated by by white folks uh what are some of the barriers that you see yourself maybe some barriers some walls no trumping some walls that you see and you were like man i'm gonna break that wall i break i broke it and i'm over here on the other side already of this inequity uh maybe a story that you want to throw us out there so people can really visualize sure. that um i mean i'm sure a lot of uh brown folk and um sympathize and empathize and relate to a lot of things that I've gone through. I've gone through a lot of situations with conductors, with other musicians putting me down, saying just the worst things to me. I've gone through auditions with professional organizations where I've heard some very unsavory things at the audition. Um, and so I think one of the ways to to break through that barrier, I say, I say one of the things that you absolutely have to do is just don't give up. And it's really hard because I find myself um, frustrated and um, angry, upset, pissed off. I mean, it's it's all of it. It's all of the above. But I think the one thing that, like I said, don't give up. I just keep going. Uh, find allies that will definitely um, that will champion your cause. Um, you know, we always talk about having uh, white allies. Because obviously in, our, in this art, you have to have white allies to help you navigate the system. Um, don't exclude them. Include them. Use them to, uh, to a means that will benefit your own mission. 
uh, create goals for yourself, create a 10-year plan, create a five-year plan. Where do you want to be? Who do you want to study with? You know, um, I went to uh, University of the Pacific, um, and I think that's where I started gaining all of my uh, resources. Um, because a lot of the people that I perform with now are alumni from University of the Pacific, uh, and they know other people from other schools, um, and it's a very well-respected uh, school. Um, now, fast forward now, I think some of the things that I want to highlight is that I am not only a performer, I'm a composer of music. I write for orchestras, I write for chamber, I write solo pieces. Um, I just premiered a solo piece uh, that was dedicated to my grandmother uh, last year. Um, and then I have a friend right now, um, a Mexican flutist who is at um, University of Cincinnati. And he's going to be premiering it for uh, for that school. And actually his teacher is an African-American uh, flutist, wonderful flute player. Um, and so I have that support. And now I'm also an ambassador and uh, composer for the Awesome Orchestra Collective, which is based here in the East Bay. Um, it's a community-centered orchestra. We're very inclusive. We believe in just including everybody and making everyone feel comfortable. Uh, our mission is essentially to create um, orchestra adventures that are accessible by the public and musicians. So for me, it was a, a no-brainer to join that, those kinds of organizations. And through that organization, I got to do multiple recordings. I've gotten to do projects with um, Liz Luke, who uh, does Undercover Presents. Uh, last year we did a, was it last year? 2019, we did a concert uh, that was a tribute to a tribe called Quest and I got to perform with La Gente. Um, and it was like a phenomenal concert. I mean, I've, I've done everything and more. I've gotten to travel the world. I've gotten to do all of these amazing things because I think the one thing is that, you know, never giving up. Just being true to yourself and say, I'm going to do it. I want to see where this ends. You know, just having the, the ganas to, to go out there and make something of yourself. Um, I think it happens within us first, um, but definitely to have those resources, have that allyship, build resources with your friends, ask your friends, ask your teachers, you know, how can I make it in this world? How can I make it into the classical music scene? A lot of it is your professors and just your any local resources that you can build um and now i mean i'm seeing people making tiktok videos and instagram videos and uh facebook live videos and they're just playing for audience members and they're getting discovered you know i think nowadays with technology technology definitely helped us get our word across. Obviously, your uh, your podcast does a lot of that. It's getting you out there. You're getting recognized. I mean, I watch you on on Instagram all the time. I love watching your videos. I mean, they bring they bring brightness to my day, um, no, no matter what. But like, I think these using these platforms will definitely help us get um, our names out there, our faces out there. Um, right now, it's a great it's a great political movement to highlight black and brown uh, folks, especially musicians. I mean, we have Lizzo out there. She plays the flute, she raps, she dances, she twerks, she does all of that. And she's all about herself, her body positivity. And that I think in itself is just amazing because I don't think anyone knew of Lizzo until she started making videos of herself and all her flute playing. And I mean, she's 
she's a phenomenal artist um no matter what i don't care what people have to say but i i i enjoy her but it's those kinds of things using this 24th century technology using your own um your own strength your own weaknesses everything together combine that all together and push yourself propel yourself forward because that's really what's going to get you ahead in this music world but in the meantime even if you need a friend and you need to you need to talk to somebody i feel if you need to reach out to me you know and ask me how to how to do it how to navigate it or you just need someone to just like air your frustrations to you know i'm always available for that too Poeta already coming in with the tokens of power tonight <laughs> going off on the mic I appreciate that and I want to touch a little bit on that part around motivation right and I also want to talk about self-love because a lot of a lot of things that I see um, intersections that I see with music and like motivating yourself it's like self-love and I feel like from the past five years or even more I keep hearing that people need to take care of themselves self-care self-love motivation but that piece is hard you know and it i think is. you touched on that because sometimes you are alone sometimes you don't have resources when you come from families who don't have access who don't know what self love was or is it's hard to define that it's kind of like decoding a secret message for yourself so i really really appreciate that um, that you elevate that around motivation mm -hmm. and seeking out resources for folks and putting yourself out there on the map so thank you man um yeah, damn, that, got, that gave me chills but moving on <laughs> to our last question because we run out of time here and this is noche alactica what are some some tips you can drop at a personal level for folks who are scared to follow in their passion maybe scared to to go out there and play the cello the violin the bass the piano just saying you know what some folks keep, keep telling me i'm too old to do that uh, young people say i i don't i don't know how to do it what are some like three tokens of power you can drop and let them know this is what you need to do start here three tokens of power man it's just three Um, well, definitely, like my first point, never give up. Um, and to the people who say that they're too old to like start a thing, you're never too old to start a project. Um, I've had several uh, friends of mine, I have had, I've even had professionals ask me for lessons, which is like crazy to me. I'm just like, wow, you're asking me? It's just, it's amazing. So I would say never give up on your passion. So just like, You know, use that fuerza to get ahead. Um, you're never too old or too young or too anything to start a new project. Um, and just continue to love yourself. Um, Self-love is important. Meditation, taking care of your body, taking care of your mind, educating, empowering your mind is definitely a way to move ahead in this uh, crazy, crazy art form amazing man thank you for those tokens of power and this is the part of the episode where we just give the mic to you if you want to give shout outs to anybody in the world uh, this is the moment put the plugs out there where can people find you this is the, this is the place sure no I, would, I just want to uh, thank you for giving me a platform to speak about this um, I feel like there's a lot of times that We don't get to connect, and I am so grateful for you connecting me to your audience. And I just want all of our gente to just continue to to push, uh, to move through our struggles, to move through our weakness, uh, our weaknesses, just to be us and be collectively beautiful. Um, 
if you want to find me, you can find me on Facebook. It's uh, Artie Rodriguez Flute. On Facebook, on uh, you know, on uh, IG, it's Unicorn News. That's U N I C O R N M U Z E. And yeah, I mean, just feel free to reach out to me. I'm more than open to to mentor or discuss or uh, just be a, a person to listen to you. Amazing, man. Well, thank you for being on this episode of Noche Galactica. Uh, likewise, I, I think we're going to have you again in the future. Your energy is amazing. Keep doing your work. Keep elevating that power and keep playing that flute, man. Keep playing that flute. Um, Absolutely. Thank you again. And <laughs> this is Noche Galactica. Have a good night. Have a good night. <laughs>